SEP Fanfic Readings presents Aurelian by Biddy Blue Eyes. 28. Price of the Non-Aligned Draco and Harry walked down the long dirt lane in silence. Though they were getting used to working with one another, things were still rather uncomfortable between them. They walked in step, but with a fair distance between them, both with their hands buried deep in their pockets. Draco looked down at the tall grass lining the road to avoid staring into the setting summer sun. Harry spent his time gazing around at their surroundings, as he had never been before to the area. The view was beautiful as they were in the center of a large grassy moor, and the setting sun cast orange and golden rays over the hilly terrain. He had never considered it before, but it seemed like a perfect place for wizards to live. There was plenty of space to fly brooms without fear of being seen. Just as they made their way to the top of the large hill, the Parkinson family estate came into view. As Harry had expected, it was a mansion nearly the size of Malfoy Manor but even in the distance it looked more welcoming. He thought that, perhaps, Malfoy Manor only felt foreboding because of the events he knew had taken place there. The Parkinson estate was constructed of light brown stone with a dark roof. As Harry got closer, he began studying the unique gardens surrounding it and the smaller details, such as the white lattice windows and the black shutters. The style of the home made him believe that it had been there for a couple of centuries, but it was in such wonderful condition that it looked like it could have been built only the week before. Again, he was astonished by the preserving powers of magic. "'You ready?' Draco asked as they walked through the large wrought-iron gates. Harry nodded. He glanced at Draco when they took the final step up the front door. Harry took the heavy brass knocker in his hand and knocked three times. He clasped his hands in front of him. It looked like a casual stance, but having gotten to know Harry more, Draco realized that in that position, with his hands in front, rather than behind him, his wand was close and easily accessible if needed.' Harry felt Draco studying him and returned Draco's smirk. For two people who considered themselves quite different, they seemed to have a pretty keen understanding of each other. The door opened suddenly, and Harry and Draco's expressions returned to those of proud men on business. Harry very quickly studied the man in front of him. He had seen him before, but never up close. Mr. Parkinson was a bit of a portly man. He was not overly obese, but his belly was quite prominent the way he held his shoulders back with his hands clasped behind him. His stance, Harry believed, combined with a staid expression, was meant to be intimidating. The stance did not seem to fit the man's personality, but only because his formidable front was belied by the softness of his face and his deep smile lines. "'Mr. Potter,' Mr. Parkinson greeted stiffly. The moment the door had opened, his eyes had fallen upon Harry. As unperturbed as the man tried to appear, his tension could still be felt. Harry Potter, after all, was an intimidating man in a name alone. To stand before him was even more unsettling— even in his casual state, Harry's piercing green eyes were filled with strength. His presence was far more intimidating than Mr. Parkinson when he tried. After a quick study, Mr. Parkinson finally looked at the man to Harry's left, and his eyes widened in surprise. Draco, he breathed. His brows knit together with concern as he studied the young man he had known for so many years with a wary curiosity. I'd like to thank you, Mr. Parkinson, for agreeing to see us this evening, Harry said formally. "'Yes, of course,' Mr. Parkinson responded. His eyes lingered on Draco's for another second. "'Please, come in.' Mr. Parkinson stepped to the side and opened the door wide. Harry and Draco entered and inclined their heads as they passed him. Harry took a moment to quickly scan his surroundings, a precaution that had long ago become a habit. They stood in the large entrance hall that was approximately the size of a small bedroom, and it was furnished just as elegantly. Harry, through his career, had seen the inside of many homes— quite a few of them belonging to families as wealthy as the Parkinsons, and was no longer impressed by the grandiosity of them. 
His look around was solely for safety purposes. He could never be too careful. He noted the staircase to his left, the two doors and a hallway to his right, and the double doors in front of him that led to the courtyard. They were both points of possible danger and emergency escapes. However, he did notice in his quick assessment that the Parkinson's home felt much warmer and lived in than many other stately houses he had visited. "'I thought we might speak in my study, if that is okay with you,' said Mr. Parkinson. "'That would be great. Thank you,' Harry replied. "'Follow me, then,' he instructed, leading them to their right, across the large, silent hall. "'Draco?' a pleasant voice called cheerily from them behind. The party of men stopped immediately and turned toward the large staircase— there, halfway down, stood the young woman that had so frequently been on all three of the men's minds. Her eyes were bright and happy at the sight of Draco, her smile warm and cheerful. "'It is you! Why did you not tell me that you were coming?' She stopped suddenly, and her smile vanished in an instant. Her brow scrunched in confusion and anxiety. "'Potter?' she asked only loud enough for them to hear. "'Pansy, these gentlemen are here for business,' Mr. Parkinson stated. "'What business?' she asked, taking a couple slow steps down the staircase. "'None that concerns you, I'm sure. Now, don't you think you should be in bed?' he said sternly. "'Dad, it's only just after seven. Not to mention, I'm quite old enough to stay up until whenever. Well, you have had quite a full day with your brother's game and such. I'm sure that you're quite interested in some time to yourself,' he interrupted in challenging tone. Pansy crossed her arms over her chest. She appeared indignant by the way her father treated her, but she made no move in either direction.' Not acknowledging his daughter any further, Mr. Parkinson turned from her and continued toward his study. Harry and Draco followed after him, but it took great effort to both of them to peel their eyes from Pansy. Harry had never taken an interest in her, even a little. He disliked her from the start because of her friendship with Draco, his greatest rival at school, but then also for the insults that she made herself against his friends. After school and the war were over, he had to admit that he hadn't thought of her at all until the start of the investigation— but he found himself, despite the fact that he didn't really know her, quite worried about her. Pansy, like everyone else in the world, had a life filled with happiness, sadness, trials, and hopes. Whatever her story, she did not deserve to be hurt. He could only imagine how much harder it was on Draco. "'Please, have a seat,' Mr. Parkinson offered as he gestured to two leather chairs across the large oak desk in his study. Harry and Draco sat themselves as Mr. Parkinson made his way around the desk. "'May I get you gentlemen something to eat? Drink? Tea?' "'Brandy?' "'Thank you, sir,' said Harry. "'Whatever you prefer.' Mr. Parkinson nodded and moved to the corner of the room, where a small bar cabinet stood. The room was silent as he removed the brandy and poured the liquid into three glasses. It was as he placed the stopper back in the bottle when he finally spoke again. Harry had to force himself to focus on the man's words as he carefully watched each move Mr. Parkinson made. Constant vigilance. "'I have to say, Mr. Potter, that I was quite surprised to receive your owl yesterday.' I admit that I am quite unnerved by your presence, as you had not hinted as to why you wished to see me. Mr. Parkinson said stiffly as he handed a glass of brandy to both Draco and Harry. I do not mean to offend you by that statement, but you must understand that your name and occupation are connected with many uncomfortable topics. I am even more confused by Mr. Malfoy's presence here. I appreciate your honesty and openness regarding your concern, so I'd like to be forward with you, Mr. Parkinson. Mal... "'Mr. Malfoy and I are working together on an investigation, and we believe that you can help us,' Harry said. "'An investigation? Concerning what?' Mr. Parkinson asked. "'I cannot reveal much to you, sir, but it does concern you and your family,' Harry answered. "'Oh,' he asked, looking rather leery. "'Yes, sir, and I believe you already know what I am talking about,' Harry told him. Mr. Parkinson said nothing. He took a sip of his brandy and waited for Harry to continue. "'We know that you and your family are being threatened, sir.' 
and I'd like you to tell me about it, Harry said frankly. I'm sorry, Mr. Potter, but I'm not sure that I know what you're talking about, said Mr. Parkinson. I believe you do, sir, Harry said. He was getting a bit agitated with the man already. I'm sorry, but I'm afraid you're going to have to be more specific. All right. We know that your family's safety has been threatened for the last five months, and we know that for the last five months you've been having a sum of money delivered to the alley outside of Brim's Goblet to ensure your family's safety. I wish you to tell me how this started and exactly what the terms of this arrangement are, Harry replied, a hint of impatience in his voice. Might I inquire to your source? Mr. Parkinson responded. Draco watched the exchange silently and watched as Mr. Parkinson's expression became more severe and his knuckles became white as he gripped his glass tighter. You may inquire, sir, but I cannot reveal my sources. I can assure you, though, that I am quite certain about these facts. I wish you to tell me what you can, Harry persisted. I'm sorry, Mr. Potter, but I'm afraid that I am unable to help you, he replied. You mean that you won't, Harry corrected. As certain as you believe you are about these facts, it seems to me that you are following rumors and suspicions. I'm very sorry, but I cannot help you, Mr. Parkinson maintained. Mr. Parkinson, please, Draco pleaded. We know who you are dealing with, and we understand your apprehension. We're not here to bring any charges against you. We're here to try and help you protect your family. To do that, though, we need to know the details. I thank you very much for your concern, Draco, as I see that it is real. But I assure you that my family is just fine. We are in no need of protection, Mr. Parkinson declared. Sir, don't do this, please, Draco said earnestly, seeing the man's stubborn resolve. You can't keep this up. You know that eventually they will ask for more than you can give. What then? Think of your family. Think of Pansy. I don't want to see any of you hurt over this. Let us help you. I say again, Mr. Malfoy, Mr. Parkinson said acerbically, my family is just fine and in need of no protection. If that is where you stand, Mr. Parkinson, then that is where Mr. Malfoy and I will drop it, Harry told him. I will tell you this now, though. Mr. Malfoy was right that we do not wish to press charges against you, but if you continue to fulfill their demands, it will, from this point on, be considered abetting a felon. Truthfully, our number one reason for being here is to protect your family. Please, sir, I just ask that you consider that. Mr. Parkinson looked like he was doing just that. He looked stubborn, affronted, and he also looked unsettled and undecided, keeping his eyes averted from theirs. Harry sighed heavily, finished his brandy, and got to his feet. His movements brought Mr. Parkinson's eyes back up to him. Draco stood up also, understanding their visit was over. "'Well,' said Harry, setting his empty glass on the desk, "'I'd like to thank you again for seeing us, Mr. Parkinson. I'm very sorry that this meeting has not gone the way I had hoped. But our part has been said. Should you change your mind, you can contact either Mr. Malfoy or me. I hope you have a good evening. We can see ourselves out, if you wish.' "'No,' Mr. Parkinson replied uneasily. "'I—I'll show you out.' Draco's shoulders drooped, and he could no longer look the man in the eye. He refused to even look in the man's direction. Mr. Parkinson looked like a completely different man as he walked them to the door. He no longer tried to hold up the intimidating ruse. He looked quite despondent. As frustrated and upset with the man as he was, Harry felt sorry for him. Draco looked up at the staircase and saw Pansy standing now at the very top. She was holding onto the banister with both hands, and she looked down at them with worry. Her eyes were pleading with Draco for assurance, but he turned away unable to stand the terrible ache he felt inside him when he looked at her. Her life was on the line, and her father was making the wrong decision. He had to think and think hard. They just had to protect her. Harry nodded a silent farewell to Mr. Parkinson, and Draco was about to follow when Pansy cried out to him, Draco! He looked up at her and felt his heart breaking from the fear and uncertainty in her voice. You'll owe me, right? 
she asked. Draco nodded. He wouldn't have been able to find his voice if he wanted to. He stopped as he was moving past Mr. Parkinson and stared the man hard in the eye. Draco had often looked up to Mr. Parkinson. He was a wealthy and dignified businessman like his father, but he was also kind and loving to his family, in a way his own father had never been. But in that moment, he saw the man he really was. He was just a man. When all the money and pretense fell away, he was simply a frightened man that didn't know what to do. But no matter how frightened the man was, Draco could not forgive him for turning down the help that could save his daughter's life. Draco swept away furiously, and Harry was forced to jog to catch up. As soon as they were through the gates, Draco slowed down a little. "'This doesn't mean that we're done,' Harry told him. "'I know,' Draco replied. "'I'm just angry with him. He's too scared to make any moves at all. Were I him, I'd pack up the family and send them abroad or something. You can't just let them stay in that house.' "'We can't judge,' Harry told him. "'We will work this out, though. We'll do whatever we have to.' Draco closed his eyes as he continued walking. Whatever happened, Pansy just had to be okay. Mr. Zabini, Miss Bell, welcome to the noble house of Potter, Creature greeted with a bow. He pulled the front door open wide to them. Master Harry is out, but is expecting your presence. Noble house of Potter? That's new, Blaze chuckled as he stepped over the threshold and began to look around the front hall. He was actually quite surprised by the grandness of the home, as he had heard that Harry was raised up by poor muggles. He realized that it could very easily have been a rumor, though. It surprised him just how little he actually knew about Harry. He knew only what showed up in the paper or circulated through gossip circles. He made a mental note to ask Draco a bit about Potter sometime. "'Actually, sir, the Potter family happens to be quite an old wizard family,' Creature replied. "'Now that I knew,' Blaze smirked. Creature looked at Blaze curiously, as though he were concerned something was off about him. Blaze returned the skeptical appraisal. "'Hi,' Hermione greeted as she entered the foyer. She looked as though she was about to say more, but Creature spoke first. As Master Harry is not in yet, he has asked that Creature present you to the company of Miss Granger. Miss Granger, Master Harry's guests have arrived, Creature said with a bow. Katie also looked quite warily at the elf at that point. Thank you, Creature, Hermione sighed. Can Creature bring Master Harry's guests some tea, he offered. Um, yes, please, Hermione answered. As the hunched old house elf slowly sauntered away, Hermione finally turned her attention back to Blaze and Katie, who still stood near the front door. "'You guys are early,' she commented. She didn't fail to notice that they had arrived together, and looked at them suspiciously. A light blush rose to Katie's cheeks, and she bashfully turned her attention to examining the room. Blaze took no notice as his eyes were fixed to a place just behind Hermione. Hermione curiously followed his gaze. "'Daddy back, Mummy?' Aurelian asked as he walked into the room. The small boy was the object of Blaze's interest. "'Your daddy only just left,' Hermione told him. "'Who them?' he asked. Blaze's eyes never left the small boy, and he slowly walked towards him. "'He looks a perfect mix of you both,' he said in awe. He took a knee and stared directly into Aurelian's gray eyes. There was no question that he was the son of his dearest friend. "'Hi, Aurelian. I'm Blaze. I'm a friend of your dad's.' "'Magpie's not best,' Aurelian said in response. Blaze blinked in confusion and looked up at Hermione in question. "'Aria has quite an infatuation with Quidditch and an incredible memory for anything related to it.' Hermione offered in a way of explanation. "'And your dad told you that I support the Montrose magpies,' Blaze smirked. Aurelian nodded. "'And I suspect that means you're a Tornadoes fan also,' Aurelian nodded again. "'The Tot has good taste in Quidditch teams,' Katie smiled. "'No, not you too,' Blaze moaned as he looked up at her. "'I'll have you both know that the Montrose magpies do happen to be the best. They have won the League Cup thirty-two times. That's far more than any other team in the League.' 
Blaze felt a bit embarrassed when he realized he was defending his favorite team against a toddler. Nuh-uh, Aurelian scowled. Tornadoes has best. Day win the last five cups before Quidditch died. Whoa, 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 calm down, buddy. I didn't mean to upset you, Blaze said gently. What is he talking about? Katie asked uncomfortably. The tornadoes are suspected to win the season, but this would be the first in a few years. He means in the future, Blaze reminded her. I understand that, Katie said, but what does he mean before Quidditch dies? Draco was talking about taking Aurelian to a game sometime. Aurelian told him that Quidditch died. From what we could make out, five and a half years from now, all of the Quidditch stadiums are burnt down. At least in the time he came from, Hermione explained. He's still confused about what is and was. I don't know that he'll ever really understand. He'll just come to accept what is. You play with me? Aurelian asked excitedly, completely putting all previous discussions behind him. I has Quidditch people's daddy by me. Uh, sure, said Blaze. You don't have to if you don't want to, Hermione assured him. No, it's fine. It'll give me a chance to get to know him. I mean, if that's all right with you, Granger. Blaze said, not wanting to overstep. He was having a hard time accepting the reality of it. He was agreeing to play with the woman's child, the child of his best friend, whose existence he'd only learned about the day before. It's fine, so long as you stop calling me Granger, she smiled. Hermione, sorry. This, this is just all so surreal, Hermione finished for him. Blaze and Katie both nodded. Well, why don't we go to the sitting room while we wait? Aurelian, Mr. Blaze says he'll play with you, but I can only give you a few minutes. We need to get you ready for bed. Hermione led the way into the sitting room, where Creature was setting a tea tray on the coffee table in front of the sofa. Over here, mister, Aurelian said excitedly as he pulled Blaze toward the far corner of the room, where his Quidditch figures peeked over the top of the cardboard box. Uh, just call me Blaze, all right? Your very existence makes me feel too old as it is, Blaze smiled. Would you like some tea, Blaze? Hermione asked as she poured a cup for herself and Katie. No, thank you. I'll have some once we're finished playing, he said as he got down on his knees. You make a light for the field? Aurelian asked hopefully. Um, I've never done it before, but I could try. My mother's third husband used to make Quidditch rings like that for me, Blaze thought aloud. You know, what you really need is a Quidditch rug. My mother's fourth husband bought one for me. I think I still have it, actually. Miss Parkinson is holding some of my things until I get a bigger place. I won't need that anymore, I'm sure. I could get it for you if you'd like. Really? Mummy, Mr. Blaze says he'll give me the Quidditch rug, Aurelian shouted as he got to his feet. That's very nice. You should thank him, Hermione replied. Aurelian said a quick thank you and plowed directly into discussion, showing off his prized figurines. Hermione sighed and took a sip of her tea. I can't believe this is real, Katie said quietly as she stared pensively at Aurelian. I've been replaying yesterday over and over in my mind and it just feels so surreal. I know, Hermione sighed again. I mean... I was just walking down Diagon Alley today, and everything was the same as it always is. People were going about their business with no idea. With news as large as this, it feels like the world should, I don't know, match, said Katie. Her brows were furrowed as she stared into her cup. Believe me, I understand, Hermione said seriously. That's not usually the way things work, though. It's like the war with Voldemort, Katie shuddered at the name. Each year that we were at Hogwarts, something happened. There was always something that we needed to solve. Each time, it felt so big and so heavy that it felt like it should quake the ground and proclaim the events to the world. It wasn't until after the battle that the Department of Ministries that the world knew and felt the fear that they should. Us too, though. Harry, Ron, and I were always somehow in the middle of it all. But it never felt as real as it should, not until it was staring us in the face. The future has a face now, though, 
Katie said, looking at Raylian again. Seeing him makes it all feel real to me now, and it's frightening. I can't imagine how you're taking all of this. You saw everything there, and now you have a son from it. Surreal, there's no other word for it, Hermione answered. You never know what life is going to give you. This whole thing feels like a terrible tragedy, but it's a blessing, really. We've been given a chance to prevent a terrible future. And though becoming a parent overnight was rather overwhelming, Aurelian is an incredible blessing himself. He's an amazing kid. It's hard to believe that he's mine. It's not for me, Katie said as she thought on it seriously. I mean, it's a shock that you're suddenly a mother, but it doesn't surprise me that you're good at one. What's hard to believe is that he's Draco Malfoy's son also. Katie looked up at Hermione in horror. I am so sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I mean, I, I didn't mean it as an insult. It's just a shock, you know? You and Malfoy were, well, not on the best terms in the past. Hermione smiled, sealing her lips tightly together as she tried not to laugh. I know. It was quite hard for me to believe at first. He's, he's a great guy, though. He's been wonderful. He does seem like he's okay. He's obviously matured, but still, Draco Malfoy. Blaze Sabini, Hermione countered, lifting an eyebrow in challenge. Katie blushed again. We just met for drinks, she said quietly. It was nice to have someone to talk to about this. He's a real charmer, Hermione stated, noticing Katie's starry eyes as she watched Blaze on the other side of the room. Hermione? Harry's call through the house caused Hermione to leap to her feet. Harry and Draco strode into the sitting room together and stopped instantly. Oh, they're here already. Daddy, you back! Aurelian cried excitedly. He leapt up from his place on the floor with Blaze and he ran over to his father, who simply patted him on the head. Hermione's stomach flopped. It was obvious that it didn't go well. "'You're back so soon,' she commented. "'Yeah, didn't go as we hoped,' Harry stated flatly. "'Do you want to put him to bed?' "'Yes, I'll—' "'I've got him,' Draco interrupted her. He didn't want to miss any of the discussion, but he didn't want everyone to wait for Hermione to return. Without waiting for a response, he forced a smile and lifted Aurelian into his arms. "'Ready for bed?' "'But, Mr. Blaze,' Aurelian pouted, looking back around at Blaze. "'I'll clean up your toys, and maybe we can play another time. Okay, sport?' Blaze answered. Aurelian's pout grew, but he nodded. "'I'll be right back,' Draco said as he left the room. "'What happened, Potter?' Blaze asked. A simple flick of his wand sent the toys back into their cardboard boxes. Harry and Blaze made their way over to where the girls were sitting, but remained standing. Hermione had apprehensively taken her seat again, but seeing Harry still standing made her want to as well. For some reason, people seemed to believe that sitting was the best way to take bad news. But Hermione found that it was much more comfortable to stand when filled with anxiety. Still, she remained seated. We spent more time walking there and back than we did talking. We got right to the point. We tried to give him the opportunity to tell us without prying. Nothing. We told him that we knew he was being blackmailed for money. We even told him that we knew how long it had been going on, where the money was dropped. He danced around, admitting or denying anything. He said that he and his family are safe and he can't help us, Harry explained, looking rather frustrated. That's it? Blaze asked. He didn't say anything else at all. What did he sound like? Did How did he act? Was he nervous or angry? Calm down, Blaze, Draco said as he re-entered the room. Blaze's eyes narrowed at the request, but he felt a little better when he saw that Draco looked anything but calm himself. Draco seemed to be struggling to hold down his anger and frustration. He was apprehensive. He's considering it. What? asked Harry. He was obviously news to him. He's in a terrible position, and I understand his apprehension. He needs time to consider the position he's in, Draco explained. Time isn't something we have a lot of, said Harry. We have no idea how different things are from the pensive timeline now. Because of our Russian investigation, 
Things might move faster on the other side as well. We have no idea. I know, Potter, Draco snapped. He forced himself to calm down again. I didn't say that I liked it. I said that I understood. It's like your mother, Hermione offered. She said she needed time to consider warding your home. I don't know about everyone else. I don't know if it's aristocratic society or Slytherin influence, but Draco and I were always taught not to rush things. Never allow yourself to be forced into making a hasty decision, Blaze explained. Mr. Parkinson definitely lives by those rules. He has to assess both sides and the possible harm in choosing either. You might have mentioned that earlier, Harry said stiffly to Draco. Despite understanding it, I was as hopeful as you were that he would accept our help. Just because I understand his side doesn't mean that I'm not furious with his decision, Draco ground out. I got to see Pansy just standing there. She looked confused and worried, and I couldn't say anything. Damn it! We don't have time for the Parkinson's indecision. I will not let Pansy get hurt in this. Can't we just set up wards? Blaze asked. Though he was just as upset as Draco, he felt a calming strength in knowing that Draco was as serious about the situation as he was. I mean, what could they really say if we go around and put wards up? We can't. It's illegal, Hermione answered. But you're an Auror, Blaze stated, looking at Harry expectantly. Being part of the law doesn't put us above it. We have to follow the laws even more strictly, Harry sighed. He had rather liked Blaze's idea. But what would Mr. Parkinson say about it? Katie asked. He doesn't want anyone to know anything about his business. If he were to tell Harry's use of the wards against his permission, it would only be drawing attention to himself. I understand, but we can't chance anything like that. It could have Harry permanently taken off the case. Not to mention, we don't know if there are any other wards there already. We don't know if there's any threat that has been made by the blackmailers about wards and if the Parkinsons don't know about the wards. It could just cause so many problems, Hermione said dejectedly. We can't do nothing. We can't just wait, Blaze said, balling his fist at his side. Well, Hermione said as she was turning an idea around in her head, we could still have them monitored. What do you mean? asked Draco. That monitoring spell of mine that I told you about. I called it a ward, but technically it's not. It's an area monitoring spell, Hermione explained. Though protective wards are illegal to use without permission of the landowner, monitoring spells on private property are allowed, so long as they're only motion monitoring, meaning not audio or visual, and are placed a distance of at least 20 meters from any door or window. This, of course, is only allowed by members of magical law enforcement, but it could help. What kind of monitoring spell? Blaze asked. It will name the true identity of anyone that passes into or out of the spell's borders, as well as the time, Hermione explained. It's not completely accurate, because one must physically pass through it to be monitored, but most homes are warded with an anti-apparition ward. One can apparate within the ward, or outside of the ward, but not from in to out, or out to in. I know how anti-apparition wards work, Blaze said indignantly. Draco narrowed his eyes, not appreciating his tone. That sounds like a brilliant spell, though. It's legal, you say? So will you use it? I didn't say it was legal. I said that it technically wasn't illegal, Hermione corrected, still apprehensive about using it. Motion monitoring wards don't usually record information, just the presence of movement. It's either legal or it's not, Blaze said impatiently. And to be honest, I'm really not all that concerned with legality. So are you offering it or not? Not everything in the law is black and white. I think it'd be safe going by technicality, said Hermione, and yes, I'll use it. I wouldn't have mentioned it if I didn't intend to. Thank you, Harry said, clapping a hand on her shoulder. When? asked Blaze. Tonight, Hermione replied, after we're done here. Good, said Blaze. So what happens now? We continue planning, Harry answered. 
Since we didn't get the information we hoped to from Mr. Parkinson, we do what we can to find it on our own. Now, Hermione and I were talking earlier and were wondering why the Parkinsons would be a target over anyone else. Out of all of the wizarding population, why them? How do we know they were chosen above others? Katie asked. I mean, what if there are other families being blackmailed as well? That's exactly what Hermione and I were thinking, Harry told her, which is why we want to know why they were chosen. Money, for one, said Blaze. They're one of the richest wizarding families in the UK. That's definitely part of it, I'm sure, Harry nodded, but it can't be the only reason. If it were, then Malfoy would be the first targeted. Yeah, but his family was in with the Death Eaters, and his family betrayed them in the end. That's not someone I would target if I were them. And you know I mean no offense by that, Blaze added with a look at Draco, who nodded in understanding. We knew it was just fact, and that Blaze held no ill feelings about it. It still hurt to remember it all, but Draco reminded himself that he was a better person now. Exactly, Hermione answered. The Malfoys would make a bad target, because they would not be a safe target from a Death Eater point of view. They need families with money, but also who be inclined to keep silent. Mr. Parkinson is a dedicated family man, Katie stated. He cares very much for his family, and would do whatever he had to to keep them safe. There's also an old, pure-blood family of good standing. The Lestranges are very serious about blood purity, and I don't think they would ever make a deal of any kind with a Muggleborn. Also, she said pensively, they didn't have any involvement in the war, did they? No, Blaze said firmly. They stayed out of it completely. How does that work, though? Hermione asked in confusion. I mean, Voldemort was recruiting everywhere with everyone that was not Muggleborn, or a known blood traitor, and he wasn't one to take no for an answer. How does such a prominent pure-blood family stay out of his service without being punished for it? Because he was involved, Draco answered quietly. What? Blaze scowled. Draco sighed. He was not directly involved, but there was no way he could just hide in the shadows either. I never talked to him about it. I only knew because of what I overheard during the war. From my side. Or he sighed again, and Hermione took his hand supportively. He was able to do exactly what he's doing now. He paid for his family's safety. That's what it was considered by both sides. He was not supporting the Dark Lord. He was protecting his family, paying to remain neutral. Giving financial support is donating to the cause, Katie protested. I knew someone would say that, but that's not what it was, Draco argued. The man was given a choice, become a Death Eater, become an enemy, or pay a fee so his family would be not slaughtered. It wasn't an option given to many. He did what he felt was safest. Why didn't you tell me about this? Blaze asked. I didn't feel it was my place to, Draco answered. I hadn't told a soul before now. Who else, Malfoy? Harry asked. Are there other families that you know that were offered that option? Uh, Draco covered his eyes as he thought. The Greengrass family, Daphne and Astoria's father, not their uncle, um, Dodson, and Pritchard. There might have been more, but those are the ones I had heard about. Good, very good, said Harry. This is enough to help us for now. We need to think on it a bit and make a plan. I'll contact you, but if you think you know any other pertinent information, let me know. Try thinking of any other families that might be in the same position. Never put any information in an owl, though. Owl me and let me know that you'd like to meet instead. Blaze and Katie nodded. Everyone's attention then fell on Hermione. I'll just grab my cloak, she told them. Katie stood and joined the group heading toward the foyer as Hermione disappeared up the staircase. The group steps were accompanied by an uncomfortable silence. With official talks being finished, no one knew what else to say. He's a cute kid, Blaze said, hanging back a few steps with Draco. A serious Quidditch fan already. Yeah, even I wasn't that serious about Quidditch at his age. Although, I suppose there wasn't much to occupy him when we were on the run. 
in his time, I mean, Draco thought aloud. You should take him to a game sometime. How old is he, anyway? He has to be close to three now, Draco answered. We haven't actually done the math yet. You don't know his birthday, then, Blaze realized. We'll make one for him. Draco and Hermione both felt rather guilty for not knowing his birthday. With all that they had witnessed in the pensive, Aurelian's birthday seemed rather unimportant. But they still wished that they had an official day for him. How are you going to explain him to the world? Blaze asked curiously. We don't know yet. We're not there yet. He seems like a great kid, and I can already tell he means a lot to you. I'm really happy for you, mate. Hermione seems like an excellent mother, too. No doubt, the reason your son is so brilliant. I mean, he certainly didn't get the brains from you. You better not talk to her like that ever again, Draco said darkly. What? Blaze said, surprised by Draco's sudden change. He tried to remember himself and what Draco was referring to. Looking back, he did snap at her a bit. Draco, I never meant to be rude to her. I was just charged up with the conversation. You know that I'm not usually like that. I'm just worried about... I don't care how worried you are, Draco said seriously. If you talk to her like that again, I'll hex you. Blaze nodded slowly. She's under a lot of pressure right now. She's working her ass off to help this. Don't ever believe she's not giving her best. Seriously, mate, I didn't mean to be rude to her. I like her. I really do. It was just heated. I'll watch myself, though, all right? Blaze didn't take his eyes off Draco until he nodded. We're all right, then? Aren't we always? Draco asked. Yeah, but it's usually you that has to make an ass out of yourself. This is my second time in two days. I'm feeling rather lost, he smirked. Mind teaching me a sheepish grin? Or at least a shame-filled eye aversion, he jibed. Draco threw a quick back fist to Blaze's ribs and smirked at his pained look. You don't need me to teach you a thing. You've already got the grimace of regret down perfectly. You're such a prat, he sneered, rubbing the sore spot on his chest. Birds of a feather, Draco smirked. Take care, mate. We'll get this all figured out. I promise. I know, Blaze said seriously, shaking Draco's hand. They stopped at the front door where Katie and Harry were waiting for them. Let me know absolutely any further detail about the Parkinson's immediately. All right, Potter? You got it, Zabini, Harry answered, shaking his hand. Take care, Katie. I'll be in touch. Katie nodded and gave Harry a quick hug before leaving. Draco and Harry looked at each other uncomfortably as they stood there alone. So, Harry said. All right, I'm set, Hermione said as she entered the foyer. I just wanted to take one last look at Ari before I left. Also, I was wondering, can I borrow your broom, Harry? You're going to fly? Harry asked. It's a large property, is it not? It is, Draco answered, and you're going to need help. With what? She asked. You're planning on placing the charm just inside the anti-apparition border, aren't you? At Hermione's nod, he continued. Well, the apparition ward isn't directly set around the building like this house or yours. The boundary there is a good quarter mile from their door. You'll need a spell to help you see a visual outline of the borders, and you won't be able to cast it while you're setting your charm. I'll come with you. I can keep the visual on the border and do the flying while you cast the charm. You mean, I fly with you? On the same broom? Hermione asked nervously. It's a good idea, Hermione, Harry told her. He knows the area, and he's a good flyer. Draco, though, getting used to Harry, was still surprised by the subtle compliments. You'll feel much more comfortable playing passenger. I know, it's fine, Hermione assured them. I'll grab my broom. Harry was about to summon his when Draco interrupted him. I'll use my own. Draco raised his own wand, and with an advanced summoning spell, summoned his broom directly into his hand. He'll need to borrow your shield cloak, though, Hermione said to Harry. No, I'll be fine, Draco assured them. Those things are damned hot. No one ever goes on a mission without one, Harry said seriously. 
and Fred and George are in the process of working on some made of silk rather than wool for warm weather. Fine, he conceded. Harry walked over to the closet at the end of the hall, and Hermione turned to Draco. I hope you don't take my apprehension personally. I don't really care for flying, and I've actually never flown with anyone else before. We'll have you sit side-saddle in front of me. You'll feel even safer than if you were flying on your own. And I know you're nervous. I won't go too fast, Draco reassured. Speed isn't the concern as much as the height, Hermione grimaced. Then you'll feel even better. We'll be flying over the moor so I can stick close to the ground, he said, tucking a rogue curl behind her ear. Malfoy, I know you can fly, but still, be careful, Harry instructed. And I want you both back here immediately when you're done with your task. No poking around. And if... You have no idea how much you sound like Molly right now, Hermione chortled. I know the rules, Harry. We'll be back in a few minutes. Or I should be fine, but don't forget about him. Never. Now go and hurry back, Harry ordered. Hermione smiled, pulled her hood over her wild hair, and followed Draco out.